Welcome in everybody to the first episode of Fantasy Football Now, where we're going to give you all the latest NFL news and everything you need to know going into day one of your fantasy football drafts. We'll be talking about many theories, 10 of them to be exact, and strategies that can fuel your success in the league. However, keep in mind, if you decided to put your house on fantasy, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think they would either, but uh, we hold no liability. So if you end up on the street, don't come crying to us. It is not our fault. Take everything we say with a grain of salt. So with that being said, I'm your host, Crispy Audio, and I'm joined by Garrido and Coach O. How you guys doing today? Hey, can I go ahead and start by saying that was an incredible intro to start uh, this whole podcast, Fantasy Football Now. Uh, I am Greedo, and I'm super excited to get this whole show on the road. You know, uh, there's so much to uncover, so much to talk about, and I would kind of like to give a little intro of myself, but honestly, I, I think we just have so much to tell you today that we may save that for another time. With that being said, I want to go ahead and bring in Coach O., the brains behind the operation. Uh, Crispy, thanks for the intro, but I do have to go ahead and slide this over. Coach O, welcome to the podcast. How how are we feeling today? Appreciate it, Garrido. Hype to uh, talk some ball, definitely. Always down to discuss fantasy football. It's that time of year, most exciting time of the year, heading into the draft season. So this is like, Chris, this is like Christmas for you, essentially. This is Christmas. Yeah, Christmas. How many years you got going into this right now? 20 20 years. Well, what are you playing fantasy football when you're like 10? Started at 10 years old. We used to do things on like paper with the newspaper box scores and keep track of oh, yeah. scores manually. And now we're a little more modern, but chill out there, man. You're showing your age. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, cool. I mean, guys, I'm going to be real with you. I, I, I know Coach O. Uh, he's, he's a student of the game. Uh, we've spent many nights talking fantasy football and anything NFL. It doesn't stop there. NBA, MLB. This guy is an absolute sports whiz. He was even watching an insignificant soccer game the other night, um, which I gave him a lot of crap for, but he he did not like that. So super glad to have uh, Nick a part of the show. Um, you know, I, I can speak for Crispy myself, who has another podcast in Dolphins Now, uh, that we are very honored to have your knowledge. And we hope that everybody that's listening to this takes all of this, like Crispy said, with a grain of salt while it can help you achieve better success in your leagues at the end of the day you're the one that is the gm of your team we'll get more on that a little bit later uh, you do so, yeah, always uh, assume all risk absolutely um most importantly as well we want to also mention that this whole podcast is produced by vsg and also sponsored by life aid uh so you please use vs code vsgx25 at life aid any fit aid energy in the website you get 25 percent off and it also supports the VSG community along with a great company in LifeAid. With all that being said, where we're going to get started is we're going to go ahead and go through the most important, uh, all of these are important, and the top 10 fundamentals, principles, whatever you want to call it. You should be taking every one of these things into consideration prior to arriving at your first draft. Whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced fantasy player, I think you'll find uh, some really good information here. So please just listen closely and remember that these are the these are the 10 most important things, but there's obviously some more notes that we'll go over at the very end. One last little footnote here is that also, as we continue to talk about all 10 uh, fundamentals, keep in mind as well that we are, con we are 
saying all these with a mindset that we're playing in, in half PPR and not in full PPR. So keep that in mind whenever we're going through one through 10. Um, it's all on the basis that we're playing uh, at half PPR, uh, half PPR. So, um, and if you have any questions on that, we'll probably touch base slightly on the two, on the three different ones as we go on, but just keep that in mind as we go forward. Let's go ahead and move forward on, uh, crispy. What is on the agenda today? Well, going into our first option, our first theory or strategy, however you'd like to refer to it, we got written down here, VORP theory. Okay, let's be real here. You're talking VORP. It looks a little looks a little crazy to the naked eye. Is it as difficult as it seems, or can you make it nice and easy for me to understand what exactly is this, and how can I use this to better my fantasy draft? For sure. So VORP stands for Value Over Replacement Player. Uh, it's really a simple principle. It's designed to uh, have a value selection at every pick. Uh, easy illustration to make it easy to understand. Uh, we don't take kickers early in drafts because the value over a replacement level player is low. So for example, uh, if you take the top kicker from last year, Justin Tucker, uh, who averaged about 10.2 points per game, you compare him to a middle tier kicker, an average kicker or replacement player, uh, Dan Prater from the Cardinals, 9.6 points per game. So we only have a 0.6 points per game difference from the very top level player at his position to an average player at his position. So that illustrates why we do not take kickers early in the draft. We'll talk about all of the positions and how we should prioritize them based on this principle. Okay, uh, another uh, way that I can explain it kind of, I picked up this theory pretty recently and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Coach O, but one of the things that I kind of keep in mind too when thinking of the idea of what VORP theory is, is um, when you're making selections and you're willing to, uh, you know, you, you may feel like you may be jumping the gun on a certain particular player. It's very good to keep in mind that if you are talking about a very low, uh, uh, correct me if I'm, uh, like a low margin, I guess, per se, per player, right? There's no need to reach, you know, for X, Y, or Z player if you can get something of similar value value two rounds later in kind of that green zone for wide receivers, right? That's kind of what that theory is kind of about as well. Absolutely. Okay. Just, just using uh, projected points per game for a player at the top tier of his position versus a player that's maybe middle tier at the position, and we want to prioritize higher margins uh, to get better value in our draft. So I know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, drafters or GMs around the world. They they see Justin Tucker. They know he's the best kicker in football. It's the easiest one to know. And so what what basically this is referencing is we're not going to reach for 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 Tucker when we know we can get someone else at a much uh, lower price later in the draft. Um, and what we're trying to do is find exactly what that margin is. If it's too small, hold off. Don't panic. Don't pick that guy that everybody knows. And you can fill that spot with another player elsewhere by looking at, you know, all the different stats and stuff and not just kickers. Obviously, this applies to every position in fantasy. Um, so that is a great subject. Um, I think that's pretty simple the way that you explained it. Anything else you want to add to that or in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. And to be honest with everyone here, we're going to continue to kind of reference VORP theory as we go on, uh, not directly by me saying it outright like that. But you're going to notice we're going to be talking multiple players in the future. 
ones that you may know about because they're a common household name. But I'm going to be real with all of you. There are a lot of players out there that actually have a much closer value that you probably aren't aware of. So the VORP theory is to save you from spending too high on those house no those household named players and to make sure that you are getting, uh, you know, those other players with and, and cashing in on them without having to spend high draft capital. So we're going to move on uh, to number two. Uh, Crispy, if you want to go ahead and intro this one to us. Sure. We're going to move on to some of our positional value players here. We're going to start off by jumping into some of the reasons we don't take QBs high in the draft. For sure. So uh, a lot of times QBs will be the most enticing players uh, to draft because they're the biggest names, right? We see Tom Brady, we see Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of times uh, beginner drafters will take these players far earlier than we should be taking these players in the draft. Uh, what we want to do is look at the value of a quarterback you could take a little later in the draft and consider passing on quarterbacks, certainly in round one and round two, uh, to get higher value players at more important positions uh, before we look at quarterbacks. So as an example, uh, we will see frequently in drafts, Josh Allen get picked in round one or round two. Uh, we really do not want to do that. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that are going to provide fantasy value. It probably runs 10 or 12 quarterbacks deep. Most leagues have maybe 10 or 12 teams. So being one of the last teams to draft a quarterback is not a bad spot to be in. In a given year, you know, quarterbacks might only be separated by, say, three or four points per game from the very top quarterback to the 10th or 12th quarterback. So uh, generally speaking, third round is the earliest we want to consider taking a QB. That might be Josh Allen territory as your uh, first QB that would come off the board. But there are some really great value targets that we can have in the eighth round, ninth round. We'll talk about that uh, in, our, in another episode uh, about undervalued quarterbacks we can target. Uh, Trey Lance comes to mind, Justin Fields comes to mind, but we'll talk about that in more detail later. Uh, but that is a strategy to abide by, certainly, is not taking the QB round one or two. So um, let me ask you really fast on the, on the subject of QBs, not to go down the rabbit hole, but, you know, let's say uh, you are, you know, at round three. And yes, you do have Josh Allen, you know, Patrick Mahomes, these type of tier guys. How close exactly are the more mobile QBs like Kyler Murray, um, some of the guys that are going to get some touchdowns uh, with with their legs? Um, for example, I'm just going to I'm going to continue with Kyler Murray in here. How how close is and are we with players of that tier to uh, players along the lines of Josh Allen and and Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, that's the thing. It's pretty close. If we look at last year's points per game averages for quarterbacks. Uh, top tier guys like Patrick Mahomes, he averaged 22 points a game last year. And then we look at, you know, a guy eight spots down the list in points per game. Uh, we find, you know, uh, Ryan Tannehill or Kirk Cousins. Big drop off. It's, it's a big drop off. Kirk, you know, Kirk Cousins, though, uh, it's a big drop off, I should say, in ranking. But it's not a big drop off in points per game. 
So we're looking eight spots down the list in points per game, and Kirk Cousins is averaging 19.2 points per game. So we're talking a difference, you know, of three points. Yeah. And we're talking a draft round difference of probably six or seven rounds. Yeah, it's dramatic. Okay. All right, well, good. Uh, I just want to kind of throw a quick, sorry, I had to bust out, you know, <laughs> the players right away. I, I can tell you right now that Nick is very prepared. He uh, immediately pulled out some notes and uh, got that answer out nice and quick. More and prepared than me. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Um, all right, well, perfect. Uh, so that is the QB strategy. Again, we're going to continue to go over that as we uh, proceed in our future episodes, uh, but we're at least exposing the idea to you, the strategy in itself to you, and we'll continue to, to throw a lot of these. It feels weird to not dive into it completely right now. It's like hard, you know, um, but this episode would be about 10 hours long if we did that uh, for every single category. So we'll keep it moving along. QB strategy, make sure you keep an eye on those QBs. Uh, understand the difference between the tiers of QBs and when to go and pull them. And correct me if I'm wrong, third round, you're looking at Josh Allen territory around that uh, tier. But outside of that, there's a big drop off. You want to be waiting towards later in the draft to to, to cash on a, on a quarterback. Absolutely. Main takeaway is if you don't get an absolute stud in round three, and frankly, don't be super motivated to take that plunge. There's a lot of value to taking a quarterback middle rounds to later rounds and stacking your team at other positions. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, that's direct and it's good information. Uh, so QB strategy, check that one off the list and on to a, another fundamental that we want to make sure we, uh, uh, keep in mind. And I really like this one, uh, cause this is one of the ones that I learned a little bit later to the game coming into fantasy football and all my, my, my knowledge that I've, I'm trying to absorb uh, I like to call it, I kind of came up with this name, was the running back dead zone. Uh, go ahead and explain, Coach O, what exactly that means. Yeah, so when we're drafting running backs, there's, uh, you know, about 14 or 15 guys that are really, really good options in a given year, this year included, where if you draft them, you know that they're the feature guy in their team, they're going to have really good volume every week, they're going to have scoring opportunities uh, but once we get past about that 15th ranked back or so, we're going to get into the territory where you're not going to have as reliable of options. That occurs in most drafts around round three. And basically, the guiding principle in the running back dead zone, uh, which we call that beginning in about round three after your 15th running back is taken off the board, is that we want to stay away from using those high-end draft picks in the third round and fourth round to take a running back who, frankly, is not really much of a sure thing. We want to use that draft capital, round three, round four, round five, to take other positions. We're going to look at wide receivers in that range. We're going to look at tight ends in that range. You might look at a superstar quarterback in that range if it's the right time. But we don't want to take a running back just for the sake of taking a running back you're going to see running backs fly off the board in your draft really quickly. It's not the time to panic in round three and reach for a guy who is not a solid option in the position. Okay, perfect. Uh, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I want to also point out, you know, there are usually, and there are about 15 effective RBs out there. So in your first round, especially in a, in, correct me if I'm a standard league, you really want to be going RB first pretty much every time. 100%. Yeah. You know, if you don't get one of the top 15 running backs, it, it is a strategy that can be used if you're stacked at other positions, but 
frankly, if you don't get one of the top 15, you're you're throwing darts. Okay, so would you say that Derrick Henry in a standard league would be probably up there pretty high, but would you say there's a pretty good drop-off in a half PPR league? There is. He's, he's not going to get a ton of receptions usually, but even, you know, looking to last year, I mean, Derrick Henry on a points-per-game basis in any format was either tops or probably second behind Jonathan Superman. Taylor in points per game. Superman yeah. got hurt midway through the season, but he's one of those backs where you know on a per-game basis, regardless of format, he's going to be phenomenal. So maybe people, uh, not exactly Derrick Henry because he's Superman, but maybe another running back that's of uh, same, um, you know, uh, of the same uh, caliber as far as maybe they're not catching a lot of balls out the backfield. Um, you know, you may slide someone who is a, a back, uh, um, a catching back up a little bit in the ch in the charts in a half point PPR league compared to like a standard. I guess how much do you take that in consideration? Because we were talking half PPR here. So how much do you take take that in consideration when drafting an RB? Would you actually move the needle a little bit on some players if they're if they're in the top fifteen, or are they all a pretty safe shot? You know, regardless of which direction you go, if you're within that right tier. Yeah, I would say with the top fifteen guys, they're pretty much going to stay mostly the same. You know, you're you're going to have specialist players like a JD McKissick, you know, or a James Cook, for example, that are going to have most of their value tied to their receiving, which obviously is going to be more important in PPR leagues. Um, but in this case, with the top 15 guys, when you're talking Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, these guys are going to have value, you know, in any format. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, Crispy, I think you got the next one. Uh, moving into topic number four, I know it kind of got touched on in that running back dead zone area where it kind of it got brought up as after those top 15 backs go off the board, you start to look at some of these wide receivers and we're going to move into what we call a wide receiver green zone or where you should be taking a wide receiver versus where you shouldn't be. Yeah, so round three is where we begin that wide receiver green zone so that is the same exact range as we start that running back dead zone. It's right around that round three turn, pick 25, 30, somewhere around that range in your draft. You're going to note that those top 15 running backs will likely have come off the board. And you're going to be faced with a decision of either taking a running back that is not really a great option uh, relative to those first 15 backs, certainly. There's a pretty steep drop off uh, versus taking a receiver who is probably at that stage of the draft still a top 10 option at the position and is much more of a sure thing. So this is where uh, we want to start drafting receivers. Round three, round four, round five, and even six and seven is a great time to focus on receiving options because it's a, it's a passing league. And there's a lot of receivers that are going to produce. There's not a lot of running backs that are going to produce. There's not many feature backs anymore. So this is a, a great range to start thinking about receivers, round three, round four, round five. How many receivers in the uh, NFL are there right now that you could, that you yourself would probably take in the first or second round? Man, first or second round, I'm gonna say eight. Eight, so I wanna, I'm asking that question to put in perspective. Um, look, if you're not getting the top eight receivers in the league, it's probably okay to wait. You know, don't don't say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to draft this receiver that hasn't proven himself yet, but he's on the come up. He had a great end to his year last year." No, don't don't do it. I've been there. 
one year I drafted uh, Odell Beckham in like the second round, I think, or something like that. And he had a crazy year. Him and Baker had a crazy year the year prior. And I promise you, it never pays off. The great receivers in the league, they do it year over year. So if it's a home, if it's a home run hitter, get that receiver early, like a Devontae Adams or some of those players like that. If it's someone else that's fallen into a different tier, it's okay to be patient. Three through seven, get your guy, you know, later on the draft. Yeah, and, and a great way to kind of tie this back to what we were talking about originally with value over replacement player. Well, you take a, a receiver from last year, just in, in, ha- in half PPR scoring, that's a fringe top 10 guy. You're looking at about 12 points per game, Jalen Waddle. Uh, you drop it down to like the 30th ranked receiver, and, and I'm just ballparking here, Russell Gage, about 10 points per game. It's really not a huge difference from wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 30. That's why this range is a phenomenal range to draft receivers because you're going to get value on a pretty reliable level. A lot of guys that produce good good stats um, versus reaching for running backs that are more unreliable uh, than receivers in that same range. All right, cool. Uh, Chris, we you know through that last one on you, we're having a, uh, a mic issue over here in the studio and I just had to quickly run over, uh, might I add very quietly and, uh, very nimble to get it fixed. And I am proud to announce that it is good to go, but you know what, go ahead and take the next one. I believe we're on number five. Um, we'll go ahead and just run it back over to you. Uh, halfway there to the 10. Crispy, what's number five? on We our are list? halfway there coming up on number five on our list. We just talked about where you should be taking your wide receivers somewhere in that running back dead zone. But now there's also a sweet spot when it comes to tight ends. There's some guys that are that are great and right up there. And there's some guys you just maybe want to stay away from. But we're going to move into where you should be drafting your tight ends. Yeah, so tight ends, I think are a position we see some reluctance a lot of times uh, among fantasy drafters. Uh, for whatever reason, a lot of times uh, people wait on tight end. And the end result we see is about half of teams in the league are going to end up uh, with a tight end that frankly is not producing a lot of points because there's just not a lot of tight ends in the league that do produce. Uh, so the top scorer uh, among tight ends last year, Mark Andrews, averaging about 15 half PPR points per game. If we take the average uh, middle tier tight end, uh, we're looking at about nine fantasy points per game. Dawson Knox, that's a five point drop off per game. That's huge. So what that illustrates for us is that taking a tight end early is a pretty good approach because if you wait and miss on the top, say four, five tight ends, you're looking at a pretty steep drop-off and an unreliable position in your lineup every single week. So when we look at tight ends, we're looking at Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and Kyle Pitts as kind of that top tier. If you get one of those guys, you can be feeling like you have a really distinct positional advantage every week. Uh, Those would be really good targets in the second or third round of your draft. We don't want to go and take those guys top five necessarily. Uh, but we do want to prioritize those guys in round two or three. Um, There's a second tier, uh, sort of a sweet spot for if you miss on one of those three guys uh, that 
really falls somewhere in the fifth round, maybe sixth round, where you want to make sure you secure one of the three or four tight ends um, that would be serviceable for you. And you wouldn't have to be stressing tight ends on a weekly basis. That would include George Kittle, Darren Waller, Dalton Schultz, maybe TJ Hawkinson. If you miss on those seven, you are dart throwing at tight end. And you're going to be at a positional disadvantage every week. Really would advise making that a priority in your draft, not waiting till the ninth or 10th round to draft a tight end. Uh, you'll probably end up pulling your hair out with that position the whole year. Yeah. Um, and a quick note on that. I think you pretty much covered everything. Uh, but just someone who's came, once again, I came late to the game. Um, yeah, I promise you it is not fun to miss out on those tight ends. When you start getting to, uh, you know, you, you start getting embarrassed of the tight end that you're throwing out there in a, in a competitive matchup. Um, so yes, do not skip out on the tight ends. They're important. And most of the time you're going to have a, a pretty much instant advantage over your opponent on a weekly basis. If you get one of those top tier tight ends, keep that in mind. It's a lot more difficult to compete with another team with your tight end than it is to compete with the other team with the receiver. It's a lot of receivers in the league, you know, so if it's, if it's between a receiver that is maybe a fringe in, in, in its value, maybe go tight end there nice and early and just go ahead and, and, uh, get one of those top tier tight ends that you can put out there for the rest of the year. So for sure to, to piggyback off of that Garrido, when you think about, you know, the round three selection in your draft, we start to talk about running back dead zone in that area. We start to talk about the wide receiver green zone would 100% recommend prioritizing one of those top three tight ends, Pitts, Kelsey, Andrews, before starting that wide receiver green zone, just to be totally clear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good way to put it in perspective to kind of bring them all together. Yeah, yeah. you, you want to once those fifteen top running backs are gone, and maybe even you know, frankly, a little before that, depending on how you feel about Kelsey, you know, Andrews, Pitts. Uh, once you get to that, you know, twenty twenty five type of range in your draft, thirty certainly, we want to start thinking about securing one of those top tight ends if your pick falls within that range. Now that being said. If two tight ends come off the board in your first round or those three tight ends come off the board super early in, in your first 15 picks or something, we are not reaching at the position and just taking George Kittle because you're worried about missing on tight ends. We are simply capitalizing on one of those three tight ends being there at that 25, 30 type of draft position uh, and taking one of those guys to get that positional advantage. Okay, cool. Uh, hey, y'all are almost getting a legitimate, just absolute layup for how and when to draft certain positions uh, and at what time uh, in your draft. So we covered the quarterbacks. We covered the running backs. We've covered the uh, wide receivers, now tight ends. And there are a couple more positions that are still there. Um, Crispy, what are the last two to go ahead and seal up the more the positional approach for the draft? Our last two positions that you're going to be looking at are some of the more value guys that it really doesn't matter where you take them as long as it's somewhere deeper in the draft because there's not a huge point drop off from your top guys to some of your bottom of the barrel guys. And we're talking about kickers and defense. 
I know that uh, before you start Coach O, a lot of times when you're brand new to fantasy, I have no clue when to draft a kicker. I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm basically not thinking of a defense or a kicker until someone else drafts one, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I, oh, wait, Justin Tucker went off the board? Was it round two? Oh, that seems kind of early. Oh, well, forget that. I'm, I'm waiting. And the next thing you know, I'm going out there with Nick Folk. You know, so I know that for me personally, I never really knew per se the sweet spot of a kicker or a defense or when to start <laughs> looking at those unless I was just really just watching the draft board. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, with you on that one. My my first league that I ever played in, I ended up taking Jason Sanders in like the second round. It was one of the worst <laughs> decisions I could have ever made. Yeah, that's 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 a rookie move right there. Uh, I don't know if I've ever done that bad, um, but I have had some really bad second round. Anyways, we're not here to talk about our failures. Uh, let's let Coach O do the talking <laughs> here. Uh, so when exactly are we looking at kickers in defense? Are there any tier structure to what we're looking at? Are there certain exceptions to the rule? Lay it on us. Yeah, this really ties back in to the previous discussion we had towards the beginning of our conversation here, where, you know, last year, Justin Tucker, number one kicker in the league, not all that much different from Matt Prater, the number seven kicker in the league. And yet, in a lot of drafts, just like you said, you know, we might see somebody draft a kicker, usually not in the second round, certainly, but <laughs> we might see we might see a kicker come off the board in round six. And that is absolutely not an acceptable decision to make. We're talking about drafting a guy that might give you an advantage of half of a point per week. And that's a, you know, a round in the draft. If we're talking sixth round, seventh round, eighth round, ninth round, we're drafting guys that are going to have a lot more value. So we're not even looking at drafting a kicker until one of the very last rounds. When it comes time to finally draft a kicker and maybe you're, you know, third to last, second to last, or last round of the draft, all we're doing is selecting a kicker that's tied to a high-scoring offense, ideally, and even better, if they play in a dome or in a warm-weather city, so that you're not stressing a snowstorm in the December games when you're entering your fantasy playoffs, but frankly, not a huge deal. Pick up Daniel Carlson if you can, Harrison Butker, Tyler Bass, some of them are bad weather, some of them are good weather. If they're tied to a high-scoring offense, they're probably going to get a lot of high-point opportunities. But regardless, it's going to make the difference of about half of a point. So don't overthink it. Don't reach. Wait until one of the very last rounds before you take a kicker. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, that's helpful. Um, I've probably done that wrong in my first, I don't know, yeah, probably like 8 to 10 drafts. I can tell you that I, I didn't draft the kicker that late definitely wasted some potential there where I could be getting some, uh, possibly taking up uh, some of that uh, green zone for those wide receivers late in the draft. <laughs> you know, definitely seventh, sixth round, I'm already looking at defenses and kickers, and I know I could easily get something better with that uh, or some key, some key backups and things of that nature. Um, all right, what about defense? Yeah, defense, really frankly, we're just in the same boat here. It, defenses are going to be largely matchup dependent you know you could have the bills defense or the bucks defense you know two of the top defenses in the league if they're going into kansas city you're probably not trying to play them anyway that week so we really don't want to be out here drafting a defense in the sixth or the seventh round we want to wait until the very last few rounds before we take a stab at a defense a really good way to think about this as well 
is that it's hard in the preseason to project who's going to be the top fantasy scoring defenses. Uh, You think about the Jaguars from a handful of years ago. Nobody thought, I think it was like 2017, 2018, nobody thought they were going to have that great of a defense. And they end up having one of the highest scoring fantasy defenses of all time. So then the very next season, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I got to get the Jaguars defense. And you see them coming off the board, like we were saying, sixth round, seventh round, you know, ahead of like green zone receivers in those middle rounds where we can take guys that are a pretty decent bet to put up a thousand yards as a receiver. And we're out here drafting a defense. And then sure enough, the Jaguars defense finished 15th in points per game that year. Same thing happens every single year. There's a defense that pops off the year before. Everybody thinks they're going to repeat it. And a lot of times they don't. It doesn't make a huge difference from one defense to the next. You're just going to be playing the matchups. You're going to want to start a defense that's playing against bad offenses. You might start whoever's playing against the Jets. Yeah, I know that defense is one of those where you can really take advantage of the waiver wire on a weekly basis. And sometimes you can, you can quite frankly, you know, go pick up the Texans if they're, if they're playing Joe Flacco, you know, if it came down to it, you know, you're going to end up, you're going to end up finding that, you know, while the Texans may not give you a, a bunch of points in perspective of how much, how many points a defense can provide you, and the value that you're basically not spending anything to get it since you're just using the waiver wire, you can switch your defense out, play against whatever offense you're playing against, hopefully and preferably a not great offense. And you can really, I've gotten good at this one. You can really put defense at the very back of the barrel. Uh, Play it by matchup. Um, I do want to ask, let's say that you can get a top tier defense, a good team. Uh, You're talking... Um, the Bills, for example, someone that you know is going to win a lot of games and always be ahead of the curve and have more points than the team pretty much the whole year. Give me a round off the dome. What is kind of, oh no, that's a little too, that's a little too high and kind of get into that sweet spot, but give me a number around that. I shouldn't be even reaching for a team like that. Even if it's in front of me, even if I feel like I've gotten all my guys, what number is that? Uh, I'm going to say probably about pick 130 to 140. You can start looking at defenses. It's going to be before you look at kickers, for sure. You know, if you can lock up the Bills defense, you know, at pick 130, 140, that's good because you're going to have matchups where the Bills play the Jets and it's like, oh my goodness, this could be a field day, you know? So it's once you get real deep in your draft, you know, that'd be like the in a 10 team league, maybe your 14th round, you know? Uh, That's going to be one of your last picks anyway. But if you still see a top-tier defense out there and you're in your 13th, 14th round, that's not a bad spot to go ahead and take one. But we are obviously not going to reach in the top 100 picks and take a defense. Okay. Uh, Cool. Uh, I think I'm good on that. One thing to keep in mind, too, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later also, um, do not react to the draft board uh, picking defenses around the 6th and 7th and 8th and ninth round realistically these are these are gms who have gone in and they've achieved the players that they probably are aware of and they're just filling out their roster and they're getting away from these other keys of these other positions that we've provided today and they're going in there and they're and they're reaching for the next and best thing that they could possibly get and they see on their board that you know the bills defense may be there it's fine if you can get that at a good at a good price but just don't reach for a defense because you see other teams doing it i've been there um, stick to your guns. You heard it himself. 140 in a 10-person league. You're talking like round 14. Um, so 
try to try to make sure you're getting that defense nice and late in the draft and use those other picks elsewhere. Um, all right, we good with that. Chris, do you have any questions on that one? No, no, that makes a ton of sense. Okay. This has been an absolutely uh, educating masterclass journey for me. So yeah, I'm glad. I'm sure Crispy's taking a lot of uh, notes over there. Um, but uh, hey, this is what this is Mr. what we're here Jason for. Crispy, Sanders please. in the second round. Yes, uh, please. If you have questions, you know, <laughs> let us know. And we're gonna be opening up the floor also, not to 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 move away from what we're doing now, but take a brief second, give Coach O a second to breathe. We'll be opening up uh, this podcast. We do have a Discord and all the information for how to get a hold of us. Uh, and talk to us and connect with us through fantasy football or whatever it may be. We'll leave the in, the information in our bio on Spotify uh, so that way you can find us as well. And um, we'll make sure we get that information over to you. So that being said, we covered all the positions. We covered, uh, do I need to read them all? QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end, kickers, and defense. So congratulations We've made it past the positional strategy, the very bare minimum. I'm sure there's a lot more in detail we're going to go in the future, but the very bare minimum of the positions and how to approach the draft in the sense of when to draft, how to draft, and what tiers, etc. You're going to learn a lot more as we go on. That's a great starting point. At least you can kind of work the board if you are uh, unfamiliar with some players. At least you have an idea of the position that you should be aiming for. We go with that. We're going to move on uh, to uh, number, is this number seven? Number, number seven. seven. Number seven, that's actually my lucky number, my my high school quarterback jersey number, number seven. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I was an option quarterback. How they far said could I was you toss too, it? How, how they, far could you toss that rock? Hey, uh, I, I can, well, and, well, they didn't really let me throw, honestly, back then. Oh. <laughs> uh, because I was a little too short, so I couldn't really see past the offensive line. So, uh, they made me just run option QB, you QB option pretty much every time. But I can say, I, I think now I can probably, I can sling almost 60. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, confirmed. There you go. Confirmation from Coach O himself. Uh, we play a lot of flag football. Anyways, we're getting way off the beaten path here. Beaten trail. Path. Thank you. It is a path. Yes, it is a path. All right. <laughs> we're going off to number seven, guys. Um, I, I had a different name for this. It got vetoed because, you know, we want to keep uh, this uh, PG friendly. So we're calling this how to back it up and i know that makes absolutely no sense to you but we're gonna make it make sense coach o what do you mean when you tell me to back it up the right way yeah so this is really referencing how to incorporate later round picks onto your team so not every round that you draft is going to yield obviously a star player once we get past those first six or seven rounds you're going to be drafting guys that'll start the season on your bench and what we're going to talk about in this segment here is positions that are necessary to have backups for, what kind of backups to have, uh, versus positions where you really don't need to have a backup. You don't need to back it up. So uh, if you draft, for example, a quarterback that is going to be a weekly starter for you, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, etc., one of those top you know, eight or 10 quarterback options, you really don't need to roster another quarterback. I see a lot of times teams that roster like two or three or four quarterbacks, we're just burning up roster spots here. If you spend draft capital, you know, in the form of a, a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round pick on a QB, 
that's fine if it's a good QB. But if you have a good one, you're going to be starting them every week. You don't need to roster Justin Herbert and then just have Kirk Cousins and Tua Tagovailoa sitting on your bench because you're going to be better off using that roster spot on a position that you're going to actually have a use for here. Does that make sense on the quarterback side of things there? Yeah, no, it makes complete sense to me. Um, Crystal clear. Yeah, uh, so is it ever acceptable then? Okay, let's move away from the top tier quarterbacks. Go ahead and give me a quarterback where you're like, eh, I probably want to go ahead and try to get another one if I can. Uh, we're getting later in the draft and you feel that it's reasonable. Give me someone that maybe you you picked up and you were kind of confident in, but the more and more you were seeing its name on your board, you're just like, eh, I kind of maybe want to secure someone else. Give me like a name or two that, like, give me a tier and idea of what we're talking about there. Yeah, this, this would really be if you are in like a, a deeper league, say 12 teams, 14 teams, 16 teams, or maybe you're certainly in a league where you play two quarterbacks. Super flex. Right. Yeah. Uh, you might be starting to look at the range, you know, around like QB 12, uh, like Matt Stafford or Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. If you really waited in your draft and, and you are like the 12th or the 13th team to draft a quarterback, at that point in time, you probably don't have a weekly reliable starter. So you may find yourself playing matchups. You know, when Kirk Cousins plays the Lions twice a year. That's a great matchup. Maybe he has a game against, you know, other weak defenses like the Texans or something like that. And you want to pick and choose his spots because he's not going to be a, a really high weekly producer like one of those top 10 QBs might be. So you may roster another quarterback in that situation. Uh, say another quarterback in that same range, like a Trevor Lawrence, a Derek Carr, something like that, where you can pick the matchups that you want to play them against to try to get a little more production out of that position since you did wait so long at that position there. Okay. And and another thing I just want to add just real quickly to that too is, once again, work your waiver wire. If you get stuck with a player, a QB, uh, in that tier that maybe you're not completely confident in and they're rolling into Buffalo to play in the snow, look, go go pick up somebody else on the waiver wire. You could pick up a Marcus Mariota and play him against the Jets. It doesn't matter if it's Marcus Mariota on the Falcons. He's going to give you a better chance and has a higher ceiling of a of, of that, that comfort of a good game against the Jets than another team would playing in Buffalo in the snow. So work your waiver wire. Never stop taking the matchups into consideration when you're making your lineups on a weekly basis. The only player I would keep out of that list as far as never take them out, quarterback-wise, just real quick, you know, that top-tier QB range. You're talking Josh Allen, Mahomes, uh, you know, maybe one or two more outside of that that you would basically keep in there no matter what the case may be. Maybe a couple more also on top of that. Um, but if you're in the other tier, work the waiver wire, work the matchups. Um, you're going to figure it out. QBs, again, talking about VORP, right? They're all going to get you close to the same the same place. Unless you have some of those superhero guys, and they're going to get you a little bit more. Uh, I think we're good in the QBs. You want to move over to RBs and receivers there, or is that the main idea is to apply that to all positions, right? Well, so, you know, I would say a similar position uh, to quarterback in terms of how to kind of back up your starting quarterback would be tight end. You know, in the same way, if you have a really strong tight end that you invested a high draft choice in, 
Again here, we're thinking maybe the top six or seven tight ends. Uh, if you grabbed a Pitts or a Mark Andrews, even like a, you know, a Darren Waller or a Dalton Schultz, you're going to be starting that tight end every single week, regardless of matchup. So rostering a second tight end that you're not going to play is a waste of a roster spot. Exactly the same principles we just talked about. If you have a top, you know, eight quarterback or a top 10 quarterback, you're going to be starting that guy on a weekly basis. We don't want to waste a roster spot on a backup tight end. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and shuffle over to our RB. I'm going to give you a situation. Okay. Same theory in mind. Uh, when and, and would you ever um, tend to reach a little bit further to lock in a backup to an injury-prone running back that made you queasy? So frankly, and we'll touch on this, you know, a little in a more bit detail more. One, yeah. We will, we will. One of the one of the principles we'll talk about will be, you know, taking shots at backup running backs that may get a ton of value. Like you just said, if there's a an injury to a top tier back that happens every year multiple times, uh, just due to the nature of the running back position and how often they get hurt, uh, you're gonna have backup running backs that all of a sudden, following an injury, have massive value. We call that a late game walk off. That's a great segue. And I'm about to throw another thing at you, but that's our number eight. I'm going to go ahead and just say it because that's exactly what it is. It's what we're talking about, right? The late game walk-offs is staying engaged later in the draft and cashing in on someone like a Tony Pollard, right? I mean, he has probably a pretty good value at this point. I feel like he's got to work his way up the charts now by now, right? Yeah, he has an ADP, an average draft position of, of like 79. So, Well, like Saquon Barkley's backup. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you have a guy like Joe Mixon, who is obviously going to be a first-round pick in your league. It is not a bad idea, whether you have Joe Mixon or not, to go ahead and take Samaji Pirine, his backup. Because in the event that Joe Mixon gets hurt, you know, and there's, there's a decent chance he's a running back. He's going to get 300 to 400 touches this year. If he goes down, Samaji Pirine is immediately like a... a probably an RB2, maybe an RB1. So you're talking about taking a guy at pick, you know, 110. I don't know where Samaji P. Ryan's ADP is off the top of my head, but it's it's not high. You know, we're talking about, you know, a late round flyer here where that particular player could pan out to be a league winner for you. It could literally happen week one of the NFL season. Put that in perspective. One injury to a superstar player in Joe Mixon. And, and I, I get where you're coming from too, is it doesn't even have to be a backup to your own player. You can just go and see Pirine available at that time late in the draft and say, oh my gosh, if this guy gets hurt, I immediately have a, a, a top tier running back for free at no cost. That is going to absolutely project a lot of success into your roster in itself already because you still have, especially if you don't have Joe Mixon, you have somebody else. Uh, you're, you're you're taking a a, um, a running back that's been forgotten and bringing them in, and they're gonna immediately be one of the better running backs in the league just because of volume and the ability to be in the in the uh, game plan. So, yeah, it doesn't always have to be backups. We're talking any uh, late round flyer per se that you can try to find value in. Don't pass up on those guys. Make sure you identify who they are. There are a couple of really good backups in the league that still aren't there yet because they're, they're they're behind someone that's so special, right? I'm going to continue to bring up Tony Pollard. I've been trying to get this guy 
for the last three years <laughs> to have a significant role and he's slowly kind of getting up his way up into relevance now and zeke is in his final couple years i think he's already lost his fantasy relevance i'm not very high he is expired um hard take sorry not a cowboy but it's not an expiration myself. date it's a best buy date yeah best buy exactly that's a best buy date. no one's dying here um so yeah, so there are some there are some premier I want to say premier backups that are in the league that are very attractive uh, buys. So you want to make sure that you identify you know who those are. You want to go ahead and just give me a couple of you take from there. Go for it. Yeah, hundred percent. So you know as far as backups, you know on your bench, just to kind of give you an idea, like you know after you've filled your you know your starting running back spots, your starting receiver spots, your starting tight end spot. You know, maybe you've you've got a quarterback at that point in the draft. So we're really talking right now about like round seven, round eight, round nine, and so forth. Kind of that middle tier range of your draft uh, where you start to fill out your bench spots. Initially, you probably still got some good receivers in that range. Remember that wide receiver green zone we were talking about where you're taking receivers really does extend into like round six, round seven, round eight, depending on your league size where you can get some good values. A good example there is like Rashad Bateman. This guy's going with the 85th pick uh, in, in drafts on average. And, and this guy has a chance to blow up on the Ravens. Yeah, very That's the, Right. If you have an opportunity to take one of those guys in your bench spots, obviously we're not drafting a backup running back before Rashad Bateman. Just to be clear here. What we're talking about is once you're past that range of having valuable receivers in that wide receiver green zone. And we will touch more on kind of what receivers we're talking about specifically uh, later on uh, in, in another podcast here. This is just principles. But once we get past that range and we're in that ninth round, 10th round, 11th round, we're looking for backup running backs. We, we don't need backup, you know, guys like, you know, third or fourth string receivers on teams that don't have a path to significant production. We want guys that if they're one injury away can be a league winner. Good examples would be Alexander Madison on the Vikings. Dalvin Cook being being hurt all the time. We've seen multiple years in a row. Dalvin Cook is going to miss three games, four games. You know, God forbid he goes down for more than that. Hey, if you have Alexander Madison, though, all of a sudden we've seen he is a top 10 running back every single time that Dalvin Cook goes down and you can draft him late. So that's a much higher upside player to have on your bench than a backup tight end or a backup quarterback when you already have solid options at those positions. Would you prioritize uh, Madison if you had Dalvin Cook? It's a great protection of your investment. You, you, you take a guy in the first round uh, in Dalvin Cook, he goes down and you don't have Alexander Madison. Yeah. You're hurting. Yeah, and that's a good point and it's a great reference to protect your investment. And that's very important and that's my takeaway. I know I learned this again. I was late to learn this you know, as I'm learning fantasy, but it's one of the most, probably one of the more valuable things that I started to understand is you know, you're you're in the draft, you're watching the board go, everyone's getting the players that they want or they need, and then eventually you hit this you hit this this rut in the in the draft board. And I can tell you that for newbies, they start to just watch the board and they go to the very top and they're like, Well, I don't really know any of these guys. Well, I don't you know, I don't really care, you know, so I'm just gonna pick whoever's the top of this list. Don't do that. 
use this time to go find those premier backups. And if you have an investment that's high in the draft, go get your, go protect your investment, go get a backup to your guy. Um, very important. A great thing to know too, kind of, you know, in that, that eighth, uh, you know, fundamental point that we have that we talked about here with, with running backs, that late round strategy is understanding going into your draft. Like you said, Garrido, we, we want to have an idea of what backup running backs are going to have the most value. So for example, if you had Derrick Henry last year, there was not a good handcuff to Derrick Henry. A handcuff, for those that don't know, is the term for a, for a running back's backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had Hill, uh, Hilliard, right? Yeah, there were yeah, a few of them. Yeah. Darrington Evans might ring a bell. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's, that's the point, though, is that right. you know when, when Derrick Henry went down about halfway through the season... You know, it's it's like who's the guy? It was everyone come together and try to fill this 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 hole, and then never really they never they never got to one person. Right. Kind of reminds me of the 49ers situation. You know, the last couple of years. It's yeah. a committee. Yeah. committee. Nobody right. knows who's going to be the guy on the Titans, and frankly, there wasn't a guy. So, if you're trying to pick a backup running back, we want to identify guys that look poised to be the clear guy if the starter goes down. They have a path to getting a large volume of touches if the starter goes down. Alexander Madison's a great example. Tony Pollard, a phenomenal example. If Zeke goes down, God only knows what t- what Tony Pollard's weekly production is going to be. He, he's probably a top five or ten back if, if, if Ezekiel Elliott goes down. That makes him a far more valuable asset. And, and he has some standalone value, of course. But him or Madison or P. Ryan, those are the type of guys you want to look for that are going to present that league-winning upside in the event of an injury to the starter on their team. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, too, and not to continue on, this probably the last final thoughts on this one, is um, when I think of running backs, I do find myself having a little bit of an interesting and conflicting situation in my brain. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's so difficult to to pinpoint exactly what the issue is there. I mean, it may be the fact that they both play, like they split carries and they're both productive, you know? And so I know that when I'm looking at my draft board, I'm planning to draft, I usually tend to kind of stay away a little bit from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb is like the guy that they just hand the ball off and he just somehow finds a way to score a crap load amount of touchdowns. And then Kareem Hunt's more of the more of the pass catching back coming out the backfield with fresh legs, and he also comes in and continues to make plays as well. Um, where realistically, where do we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? Um, because of that, while their production is so high, do they naturally slide down the chart a little bit for you personally, or where are you exactly for those two? And I, I'm only bringing them up because I feel like it's an interesting situation in Cleveland because they're both so talented. You know what's funny about that is sometimes a team can support two running backs as high-level fantasy assets. It's not often, but Cleveland is one example of that. Last year, Nick Chubb was in the 14 to 15 half point per game range, and Kareem Hunt was in the 12 to 13 point range. That puts them both firmly in weekly usable territory. That's incredible. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a testament to how well Cleveland runs the football. Uh, but also a testament to how uh, useful Kareem Hunt is as a receiving back. 
And frankly, I mean, Nick Chubb is a first round pick, regardless of your drafts format, especially in non PPR, since obviously he doesn't do much as a receiver, but he has been as reliable as it gets as a runner of the football. And then Kareem Hunt, I mean, as long as he's, you know, in that same role uh, in Cleveland, you're talking about a guy who last year was, you know, giving you significant points per game, even with the heavy usage of Nick Chubb. So what round would you reach to furthest for Kareem Hunt? I mean, Kareem Hunt, he's probably in like the, you know, maybe RB 30 type range. So, you know, we're looking at probably, you know, 25 to 30 backs going off the board before he does, you know, whatever round that puts you in. Gotcha. Not sure exactly, but he's, he's in that range, you know, RB 30, somewhere in that range. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great point. So, uh, and that's kind of incredible is he's still a couple of backs better than another option on another team. That's kind of insane. But what's, what's cool about Kareem Hunt too, is that, you know, and we've been saying this for years, if Nick Chubb ever got hurt, I mean, Kareem Hunt is going to blow up in Cleveland. Yeah. So, you know, that's why that's, he wants to get paid, you know, he, he does. I mean, he's got a trade demand still standing right now. So, I mean, his, at the time of this podcast, you know, certainly his value could change a lot, you know, in, in a week if he, if he does get traded, but uh, you know, he's, he's another really great example of drafting a running back who could be a league winner if the starter on his team goes down. Kareem Hunt is just a little bit different because he's got a lot of standalone value as evidenced last year with him averaging, you know, 12 point something a game, uh, even with Nick Chubb starting ahead of him. All right. So there we go. We got a little bit. The intensity has, has, has gone up a couple of clicks as we get more and more comfortable and we get further into actually providing some real examples of a lot of these theories. And the reason why I'm asking and probing on these questions is because while we're speaking of the top 10 things uh, in our own opinion that we want people to keep in mind when approaching the draft, I find it very, uh, I find it very nice as a listener myself to be able to actually hear at least a couple of um, examples. So that way when I'm actually approaching my draft, it'll kind of stick a little bit better. So hopefully y'all are appreciating that. Um, uh, that one was a little bit more of a, of a busy one, but it's important. Every one of these is important. So when we, when we go off the, uh, the deep end on some of these, it's, they're, they're very dicey situations you're going to come across in the draft. And I'm telling you right now, if you miss out on one of these strategies, it could be the difference of you winning a championship and not every single pick matters. That's the gist of it. I'm glad we could give him a couple of examples on the running backs. So that was cool. Um, Crispy, I kind of took your last one. Uh, you want to go ahead and introduce... absolutely fine. <laughs> you want to uh, uh, introduce us to the uh, to the number... What were we on? Nine? Number nine. Yeah, number yeah, nine. We talked about this a little bit before the show started. If you... Uh, do you remember? I do not. So That's I'm going to okay. intro this as... Looking at what this is titled in my notes here, knee-jerk reactions. Uh, the synapses, the 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 brain cells are not connecting here. So yeah, you know, yeah. gee, is this this was your idea? Put hey. it on here. So explain it best you can. Hey, and I and I and I love it because look, you think that, and so is everybody else that's listening to you say knee-jerk reactions. What does that mean? But you're not going to forget knee-jerk reactions from this point forward because. 
I'm uh. telling you right. Nick, can I just take this for a little bit? Cocho. Uh, I, I can speak of this a little bit more because I've experienced it in a very uh, dramatic fashion very recently, like a couple of years ago uh, during a draft. What I'm, uh, what we mean by knee-jerk reactions is as you're going through your draft, this could start at round one. It can start at round five. It can start at round 10. It doesn't matter when you are. This is applying the moment the draft counter starts for the very first pick of your league. Everything changes. It's a little bit of anxiety there, a little bit of tenseness going on. You, you finally made it there. You've been doing all this preparation. You've done mocks. You've had a game plan written down on paper. You have players you're in love with. You have players that you're aiming for. You have sleepers. You have all, you have so much preparation. Look guys, if you're doing it right, this is hours and hours, if not days of work coming to fruition. And it's your time to be a GM and make your plan come to life. With all that being said, I know it's dramatic, but that's what it is. If you take fantasy for real, that's the real life of a fan. It's what makes it fun. When the counter starts and starts to not go your way. Sorry. Just kidding. No. Bleep that out. Not crispy. When starts to not go your way and things start to go south, you're going to get a little antsy. And it's very important to have a backup plan and to not get caught up in the moment and make knee-jerk reactions in the sense of, oh my gosh, I am so in love with Jalen Waddle, and I want this guy at this round because it's going to be a steal, and my whole draft depends on this one player. That's not realistic, guys. It doesn't exist. No draft is dependent on one player. What the draft is dependent on is the fact that you have a plan to your backup plan and then a plan to your backup plan's backup plan. That's realistically how you have to handle it. I have um, quite literally been in a draft. Coach O was with me at the time. I was wanting Hollywood Brown. We won't really want to say his name anymore. Uh, I was wanting Hollywood Brown and he literally got sniped the pick before me and I pretty much fell over my chair quite literally as the timer is going down from 50 seconds. I went into a fetal position and I rocked myself on the floor. Do you remember that? I, I do remember. So I was going through a lot of pain because I wanted this guy so bad. This is around whenever one of his first couple years with Lamar. He, like I think he had just went off as the year after that, whatever his second year was. So it was pretty, pretty recent. And um, I lost all composure. Luckily, Coach O was here to pick me up when I was down. I was like, okay, hey, can I get back in the game here? Come on. We, we, need, we need to figure it out. Let's, let's, let's keep it. So my first mindset I've gone through that prior to then too is okay I'm gonna go ahead and look at the board who's next I'm just gonna pick the best value that I can see that meets my eyes because I am in this weird oh god 24 okay hold on let me just look through it quick 13 seconds okay let me you know what forget receivers I lost my receiver I'm gonna go get the best QB available because guess what I just lost my receiver oh five seconds oh crap okay top of the board click draft I made the biggest mistake in my draft in a matter of 50 seconds I just ruined everything yeah, that's the, the first type of knee-jerk reaction that we'll talk about. There, there's a couple different kinds of ways to knee-jerk react to yeah. things that happen within your draft that we'll talk about. That's definitely one of them is we call that getting sniped. Getting sniped. Yep. You have a player maybe in your queue that you're about to draft. You're, you've, you're three or four picks away and you're hoping that that player is not selected before you come up uh, with your pick. And the key there is that we want to have... Like you said, Garrido, 
uh, a backup plan. Two or three guys that you're perfectly happy with. You might be dead set on Marquise Brown at that particular spot, like you were in that draft there. And that's fine. But when your pick rolls around, if Marquise Brown gets selected right before you, we do not want to get caught in that situation you were just talking about, where the clock is ticking, you have 50 seconds, now you have 30 seconds, and you're just panicking and just looking at names. Because it starts to get really fast and you end up making a decision that's not rooted in your preparation, and it's probably not going to be the best decision. So prepare as the, the draft is moving along. Always be looking at, okay, this is the guy I would prefer next. This is my top guy on the board. This is my second guy on the board. Here's my third guy on the board. And just maintain like a top three. Mm-hmm. At all times. At all times. That way, when it gets to you, you're not just suddenly like two picks before you draft thinking, okay, this is my guy. And then he goes and you have no plan. So we want to avoid that type of knee-jerk reaction by having three guys at all times ranked going just at all times during the round, whether you're close to your pick or not, three guys. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, y'all, it's, it's so important uh, to, to remain confident in your preparation, and you cannot spoil that by a little bit of conflict in the middle of a draft. Um, Stay coy, make a great decision, have backups, your backups. More well said, have three guys. Um, I know we have more. There's another type of knee reaction. reaction. Yes. I think you were probably about to say this, career. I was going there. Go go for it. I've lived it, though. You know, I have PTSD. Everybody that's been in a fantasy draft has lived this next situation. This is the second type of knee-jerk reaction in a fantasy draft. A run at a position. So, example of this would be, you know, uh, you're you're in the third round of your draft, and Josh Allen gets taken. Oh my gosh, Josh Allen fell off the board. Wait, I thought I wanted a receiver. No, scratch that. I'm changing my whole plan. Josh Allen went away. Josh Allen's taken. Then the next guy takes Herbert. Oh crap! And and then Patrick Mahomes oh my goes two picks later. Allen and Mahomes is gone. I'm freaking out. Right. And then Lamar Jackson goes, and then Kyler Murray goes, and Jalen Hurts goes, and now it's your pick. (laughs) (laughs) So the the reaction that a lot of beginner drafters will have is they'll see that six quarterbacks just flew off the board. And they're like, oh my gosh, I need to take a quarterback before they're all gone. Meanwhile, we're out here in the third round, or the fourth round. And that is not... An appropriate reaction. We're still sticking to our guns and we're drafting based on value. We don't want to get swept up in a bunch of people taking the same position back to back to back and feel like we're going to miss out if if we don't take a specific position. So we're not going to knee jerk and take Joe Burrow in round three. We're going to understand that all of those people that are taking quarterbacks too early in the draft and having that reaction, creating that run at that position, they are only increasing the value that we can get by sticking to our guns, sticking to the guys that we value the most. They're basically just elevating our pick up the draft. Every time a QB is chosen during a run, because you'll see this, 
that you won't take part in the run, but other teams will. And every time, you can just confidently know, hey, it's round three. Oh gosh, there goes Allen, Mahomes, all the big names are going. Count it up. That's how many players that they just missed on that you had the potential of picking up. That many players had fallen down the draft. If you have a if you have a receiver in your mind, you were thinking, oh, there's no way this guy is going to be available at this time, or a running back with the same mindset. They very well may be now because these guys are reaching for QBs and you're sticking to your guns and picking your guys. So that's such a big point. It's it's a very important uh don't be reactive during the draft really at all. Unless you're unless you're trying uh to continue to build your preparation and continue to have backup plans to your backup plans, you want to always stay flexible. Yeah, absolutely. A great way to kind of illustrate what you were just saying, Garrido, where every time somebody gets taken too early during one of those positional runs, it elevates your own pick value is like, for example, we were just talking about, just take a quarterback run, for example, and somebody takes, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts in the third or the fourth round, if there's a quarterback run like that, and Joe Burrow maybe is the next most valuable. You know, he's, he's probably on my board ranked about the number 75 most valuable player. And we're in maybe the, the fourth round right now, just as an example. So we're picking like, you know, what, 30-somethings maybe? So instead of knee-jerk reacting and taking Joe Burrow because we're worried about missing out on a quarterback, we could take somebody in the range of like, you know, DJ Moore or Kyle Pitts, who is going to be a huge value. You know, that's a guy you probably have, you know, Kyle Pitts, for example, top 30 on your board. And he just got pushed back to you because everybody else is freaking out taking quarterbacks back to back. So stick to your guns, take the best player on your board, and let everybody else overreact to players going at a certain position. There are a situation at you really quick. We'll bring this home. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in a way where a knee-jerk reaction could benefit you or it could hurt you. Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, let's go to last year, whenever he was injured, I believe, towards the end of the year, and he was coming into the new to the, to last year's draft. His ADP was still relatively high. And me personally, in my drafts, I was like, no matter what, I'm not drafting Zeke. I don't believe in him. He's lost a step. He was injured last year. And even though he was still up there in that tier one running back market, I personally was not on board with that. So you go through this 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 situation in your draft. Everyone feels the same way. And the next thing you know, it's your second round pick. You got to, you got to uh, pick you know, 15 to 20 range. And somehow Zeke slid all the way down. And you had your mind on a receiver at that time or a tight end. You're, you're going to go get like Kyle Pitts or something or, 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 or maybe a top tier tight end. But some way, shape, or form, Zeke fell into your lap. And you know it's a good value because you know where he's you know where he's at, and you start to kind of argue with yourself. Well, I know I'm not high on this guy. I know he had injury issues last year, but oh my goodness, he's here at an incredible value. Do you adapt to something like that when it happens? Is it a play-by-play -play situation, or do you continue to stick with your guns even if you maybe could make it make sense and be like, oh my gosh, getting Zeke at 18 is insane. Never thought it would happen. Where do you go from there? So ideally, going into a draft, 
you've prepared and figured out how you value players. So you, you maybe have a, a list that you can reference. We call that your board, where maybe you have the top 100 or 150 players ranked. So when it comes to you, maybe this year, you're not super excited about Devontae Adams because he switched teams, he's got more mouths to feed on the Raiders. You know, however you feel about Devontae Adams, maybe you're not high on him. So maybe you view him as the 20th best player in the draft. So you're not going to pick him in those first 19 picks, but maybe he slides to like 30. Of course, you're going to take Devontae Adams. You know, you're, you're really just based on value, the way that you're drafting. So you should never be in a situation where you're like, I'm just not going to draft this guy no matter what. You should have a board coming into the draft that you can reference and say, okay, I think this guy is better than X number of players and worse than this number of players. And when the pick comes to you in your draft and he's the top guy on your board, draft him. If he's not, don't draft him. Gotcha. Okay. You heard it by Coach O himself. Apparently, there is never anybody that you should not draft with an exception of Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> That's what I learned. <laughs> All right. We are moving on to, it looks like, the very last in our parting, our parting, uh, our parting ways here, in our very last, uh, um, most, in, well, not most, but another important principle to your fantasy draft is number 10. The draft is only the beginning. I'm going to say that one more time. And then we'll take a moment of silence to understand each word. The draft is only the beginning. Nick. Coach O, sorry. <laughs> Just exposed your, your name already in episode one. Could at least wait until episode five. Yeah, maybe, maybe bleep out his actual name. Nick, 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 Nick. Coach O. I love it. it. Sounds like Morse code. That's fantastic. Look, the draft is only the beginning. I'm going to say it a third time. Guys, your draft may be on Friday. You may do preparation up to Friday. And I cannot tell you how many times I've done it myself or I've seen people. I have hosted a league being the commissioner or what, what have you. And everyone does their draft. And then all of a sudden you think that your job is done. It's not how it works. Coach O, drop it on me. How important is this theory? It is absolutely critical to understand that your job is not done after the draft. Yeah. It's, it's like every one of the teams in your league, every single person in your league is gonna feel good about their team following the draft. Because you drafted the guys that you believe. That's true. So, <laughs> Is that why I feel so good after my drafts? <laughs> People find out quickly whether they're right or not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But what's funny about it is a lot of people that, that draft their squads will draft their guys that they believe in, and then they'll just stay put with what they have indefinitely. And the key thing to understand is the best um, fantasy managers in your league are likely to be the ones that are actively monitoring trade opportunities, waiver opportunities, 
monitoring how their own players are doing, if, if they're potentially going to be um, a, a buy low candidate uh, on another team, they could maybe sell high on their own guys. You want to be keeping tabs on every player in the league, not just your own guys, but staying open to opportunities throughout the season. And we're going to be, you know, doing a weekly podcast as, as we go through giving specific takes on players from every position that we feel are good candidates to maybe try to trade for if they're at a, a low point in their value uh, or maybe sell high on if you have a player that's maybe reached their peak value in our opinion um, to continue to improve your squad every week. We'll be talking about the waiver wire, making sure that you're monitoring that and adding to your team when you can um, so that you're not stuck in mud, if you will, and just proceeding with the guys that you drafted. Even if you have a good draft, you are not going to win your league if you don't monitor the waiver wire and be open to improving your team via trade. So well said. Um, you know, I know that we've all been in the situation before where you draft, you feel good, and then you get to week one and then you lose by 50 points. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, you know, it was a fluke. We'll wait till week two. I have a better matchups in week two. And you get and you get beat by 30 points in week two. It's like, okay. All right. Did I actually just bomb this draft? Or what exactly just happened? Look, that's fantasy football. It's up to you. And I'm going to bring this all back to one thing. And, and it really puts things in perspective when you're playing fantasy. Crispy. You're about to be in a in a in a fantasy football league with the VSG family, right? The moment you go to ESPN or or whatever, you know, whatever uh, tool you're using to host your draft or play in a draft, whatever it may be. The moment you go there and you go to create a team and then you put a name and then you put your own name below that and then you make your draft, you are signing yourself up to be the GM of that team. What that means is, does a GM's job stop on the Dolphins after they pick up Tyreek Hill and they pick up Teron Armstead? And then they're like, oh, well, I did my part. We're set for the rest of the year. No, we're not. We just, you know, I'm going to pick up Mackenzie Alexander. And then he just got, Dies. he's hurt for the rest of the year. Yeah, like the very next day. Um, the GMs don't stop working after they make their picks, after they set their team up with a starting lineup. I mean, I know that GMs don't specifically do that in the real NFL, but per, per se, the, being the head coach, you set your lineup, you have injuries. You have other players throughout the year at the trade deadline. And as a head coach of a football team, you're going to always give your team the best chance to win. That is exactly what you are in fantasy football. You're the GM and you're the head coach. All throughout the year, there are going to be numerous amounts of opportunities for you to improve your team or to band-aid your team uh, or to fill a hole with your team through the waiver wire, through trades. There's Back it up back it up there's all to back it up we're not <laughs> filling holes here <laughs> there's all types of things that you can do to continue to help your team grow and so the job will continue to be done as the year progresses don't ever quit on that that's mainly what i wanted to say as far as kind of making it the bigger picture what you got i'd, I'd love to give an example of yeah. this so 
uh, league that I was in last year, we had a guy have one of the best drafts I've ever seen. He got Jonathan Taylor late in the first draft. Ends up being the number one scoring player in fantasy football. Second round, he gets Austin Eckler, who's the number two scoring running back in fantasy football. He gets Michael Pittman late. Who like, went off. Yeah, yeah. A steal. He gets Jalen Hurts late, uh, who was one of the better quarterbacks. I think he finished like QB6, and he drafted him late. This is a great draft. Anytime you draft the two top running backs in the whole league, I mean, you're set up to win the championship, right? But this particular manager did not manage throughout the season. He sat on his draft, understanding that his draft went great. I mean, we found that out really quick, right? Like, Taylor, Eckler, Pittman, Hertz, among others that he drafted, were phenomenal. But even with him having by far the best draft out of anybody in our league, he did not win the championship because he made very few pickups on the waiver wire. He was reluctant to make any trades. He made zero trades the whole year and frankly wasn't really exploring any trade opportunities. And that's just the perfect illustration I can think of of how you can have as, as great of a draft as you want. And sometimes your drafts will work out amazing like that. Sometimes they won't. But even if it does work out great, just exactly how you planned or even better than you could possibly imagine it being, where you get the two top RVs in the whole league, you still need to be managing the squad, monitoring the waiver wire, exploring trade opportunities, if you really want to have your best shot at winning a championship. Well said. I mean, it, it's, it's, look, that's 20 years of experience and four of mine and two of Crispy's, so... 27 years of fantasy football people telling you that your job doesn't stop at the draft. And more importantly, we got to end this conversation because we have been talking your ear off. We've gone through our top 10, I mean, principles, fundamentals, whatever you want to call it, whatever sticks. Hopefully some of the names helped you out. We've went from VORP theory all the way to late game walk-offs was a baseball reference sweet spots and we named everything in the book to to kind of help these things resonate with you guys we're going to continue and girls we're going to continue to reference these uh kind of as a legend as we go on with our fantasy football uh lives together uh coach o did kind of spoil this but i want to go ahead and announce that we will be here weekly with all nfl news nfl fantasy news and tips some tricks uh, in real actual situations on a week by week basis with analysis, target share, etc., cetera, uh, to bring you the most accurate, to our knowledge, information to help you better yourself as the year progresses. Any type of tr tricky situations you got, let us know about them. We'll talk about them here. We'll take questions live, whatever we need to do. Uh, we're gonna have a great time this year. This is gonna be an exciting year of football. Uh, I can't wait to dive into that with you, Coach O and Crispy, in your learning journey as we continue to grow together. Because look, I'm not an exception to the rule. I am learning every day. Fantasy football is an intricate hobby, sport, passion. It's an interesting passion. Look, 
Passion. If you if you uh, if you're a fan of uh, if you're a fan of the NFL, it's safe to say that fantasy football has come to an all time high. The interest level is there, and what better way to prepare yourselves for this year and ongoing as we proceed with the year than to come and check out our podcast, uh, uploaded every single Tuesday night, recorded after our Monday night games, so you'll have all the most accurate information, and we'll even possibly be doing a. Uh, maybe timely secondary show throughout the week if needed. Um, actually, I think we moved the upload dates to crispy. What do we do? What do we decide on? We're not doing because we're doing the DraftKing lineup also Tuesday Tuesday nights, right? No, I th- we still decide on Tuesdays though. So yeah, Tuesday nights. Um, we'll also be providing a, a little bit of a DraftKing lineup just for some fun. You never know. Maybe you'll be a millionaire because of us. Uh, in that in that in that sense, we are liable for that, so you probably do owe us some money. Uh, but if anything does happen to where you lose money or a house, like Crispy said, it is not our fault. Uh, that is it for as far as my voice box, uh, Coach O. I just want to say thank you to myself, uh, Greedo. I appreciate you coming on the show, uh, being a part of the show. I mean, this is this is this is bread and butter for both of us uh, and Crispy. I mean, we're huge football fans, but I just wanted to say I appreciate. Uh, the work and effort you already put into uh, the preparation to today. I'm excited to dive in uh, in the future with the show with you. So, Absolutely. Ton of fun talking about fantasy football. You know, really hope that our conversation might spark interest for somebody out there or further the interest of people that already love fantasy like we do. Uh, We'll be talking about it all year. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. And my friend, Crispy Audio, if you don't mind, go ahead and take us home and go ahead and give us a little bit of your nice, delicious outro juice. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you for tuning in to our first episode of Fantasy Football Now, where we covered absolutely everything that you might need to know when it comes to draft night in your fantasy football league. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday. For episode two, don't forget to use code VSGX25 for 25% off in the FitAid store. And we'll see you next week.